St James's Brass and Reed Band can lay claim to being the oldest band in Ireland and they also hold the world record for the longest continuous active member in a band. But at its core, this is a group of people who are passionate about their music, who play as a family and who have lovingly kept the tradition on for more than 200 years. Thomas Tyrrell has been the musical director since 1998. Tonight's rehearsal is for the South of Ireland Band Championships in Clannacilty, which we do every year. You know, and it's a bit to be done. But we'll get there. We always do. We'll get there. He says, hopefully. <laughs> Here in their band hall, young and old gather together to practice. This is band member Anna O'Brien, who is 16 and plays the flute. What's it like when you play in the competitions, like kind of kilty and those? Oh, jeez, the butterflies run around <laughs> your stomach. I mean, you feel like getting sick before you walk in. Like your hands are going 90 and, oh, it's terrible. And her sister Lucy, who's 13 and plays the clarinet. It's amazing, really, because all the work you've put in to that moment, and then you sit down and you can just play it. Put your hands together and give a warm Clannacilty welcome to St James's Brass and Reed Band from Dublin. The band was officially established in 1800, but early records trace back as far as 1737. Yeah, well, the band was officially formed as St. James's Band in 1800. But we do have records that, that go back to 1737, which is a long, long time. And why do they keep coming back? They just come here, play music, just relax. Mm. Um, they're like another family to us, so... Yeah. It's just... We're happy when we go home. Because we got to spend so much time with people. It's so, it's so much fun. Yeah. Like we go home at night and we'd be buzzing over our heads. <laughs> so twice a week, without fail, this band has been meeting in Mount Brown on Old Camain Road in Dublin city centre. Right where we are now. Right here. Yeah, in the same address, 7 Mount Brown is, is the official address. But the old band hall was just terrible. It was an awful place. But we still came here. Ah, look, it was a, it was a rough old band room inside. This is band member John Farrell, who plays the clarinet. They tell me of a time when there was a stove in the middle <laughs> and he used to light the fire and that was the only way of keeping the place warm. Yeah, imagine that. And puffing and smoking while they're playing their instruments. <laughs> I'd say the atmosphere and them must have been beautiful. And we used to have an occasional visitor called the Kamak. The, the river often came in our back door. I used to flood the floor of the band room. I think three times in the time I was there, I remember it come down to be music floating everywhere. Here we go again. But thank God we've moved on from that now. Now that Kamak is well blocked out and we're in our new building since 2004, I think we came in here. So we're, as you can see, we've got a fine building here now and uh, no intentions of going anywhere. Why would we? But before that, we had a decrepit place. But... It, we made it work. Yeah. People don't know the history, do they? Absolutely not. People still don't know it even in the area. We've met many a person and he asked me was it still in the band, was the band still going? And he'd be very surprised. And they are still going. 
For over 200 years, the band has kept going by volunteers who come together to play beautiful music. You know, when, it, when you go back to the 1700s, this part of Dublin was known as the Basin, B-A-S-O-N. Most of the fresh water in Dublin was drawn from around here. This was a reservoir, wasn't it? Yeah. Most around here was all drawn from around here, and it was an elitist part of Dublin. Not saying it's not now, but it was very elite then because they used to have concerts here, uh, open air concerts, a night of music. Because I imagine yeah. this image of the women with the crinoline dresses and they're coming off their horses and carts. Yeah, that's what happened around here, yeah. This, this was the area for that, yeah. It was a, a very up the area, seemingly, at the time. And you were the band that were kind of brought in to entertain. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the first uh, references to the band, and that's way, way back that the band would play at the basin uh, some evening for the entertainment of the citizens at the request of the council or something like that, yeah. This is band member John Daly, who plays the tuba. So um, I know that there were a lot of bands at the time in the area, and they were all associated with trades. At the time, this was a very industrious area of Dublin. You had tanning companies, you had silk weaving. And I believe that our band was originally associated with the tanning trade. There were a lot of tanneries along the Camac here, and um, eventually it became a sort of a parish band or a parish-based band, and as far as I know, some some of the trade bands amalgamated into St. James's Band. That would have been back in the late 1700s yeah like I'm not sure that the name St James's Band existed before 1800 before it was officially founded it may have had another name we're not really sure there are no formal written records of the band pre-1800 but considering their formation was during penal times it is no wonder that their early records are based solely on the oral tradition but what is absolutely certain is that this band has been playing the music Irish people have marched and listened to through key events in Ireland's history. From the meetings of Daniel O'Connell and Stuart Parnell in the 1800s, to leading the candlelight processions to welcome home the Fenian prisoners in 1877, or playing for Douglas Hyde as he departed on his American tour in 1906. You know, so massive history. It's not all written down, it's not all documented. But there's no one we can go and ask, you know, just have to take what's written. The band's music was the soundtrack for the foundation of the state. They played the final trumpet call at Ireland's most significant historical funerals, such as Porrick Pierce, Michael Collins and Constance Markovich. But they also played for pure pleasure and entertainment. There was a company, an English company, a very famous English opera company used to come to Ireland once a year called Moody Manors. And they performed down around Fishamble Street, funny enough, where we had our famous uh, world premiere of The Messiah by Handel and it's mentioned in programmes and in writings that uh, the director of the Moody Manners company uh, thanking deeply the members of St James's band Mr Manners spoke of the band Your work for me for the past ten years has been done in a manner that deserves a great deal of credit The great principles you have well maintained that is steadiness honesty of purpose and very fine playing. If I were asked to rank you among the bands that play for me on the stage in my numerous companies throughout Great Britain, I should say you are one of the best. You know, so there were, not only did they play here as a band, they fitted in with orchestras, some of the members. This band's history is remarkable, and it lives on through its members. 
Dara Noonan, who plays the French horn. There is a lovely atmosphere. Yeah. Among everybody. Yeah. It's kind of almost a family feeling. Yeah. Is that part of the history of it as well? I would think so, you know, because some of the members are there so long, you know, that I think everybody just kind of grows together. You know, it is like a family, I suppose. Mm, I think it's the atmosphere and the band. They're kind of like, I don't know, it's the people you play it with. Yeah. They're really nice people. They're fun, easy to get on with, you know. And they're big age difference. Yeah, 80-year-old and a 13-year-old. <laughs> the age range is amazing. From the youngest, sisters Lucy and Anna. I think my mother said we were the youngest in Dublin to play in a senior band. That's kind of scary. Yeah. And then there's Bob Wereshi, who's the longest-serving member of the band. He plays the trombone. The band, yeah. I'm, no, I'm the longest member, for, by no means the oldest. Joe is older than me. Joe's older than everybody. <laughs> I'm 84 and a half. You're what age are you? I'm 84 and a half. And you're still playing? Uh, yes. Would you play every day? Like, would you practice every day? I, we are supposed to. All musicians are supposed to practice every day, but we we don't do that. We we think we're better than that, <laughs> which we're not, of course. That's it. Yes. Yeah. This is Joe Regan, who plays euphonium. So Joe's the oldest, but Bob is now the longest-serving member. Sadly, a newly acquired title. Well, the only one that was here in front of me, John Gannon. He was in the Guinness Book of Records for the longest player in, in, a, in a brass and reed band. He started in 1934, John Gannon. Oh, he's a great man. But, uh, but he got a good send-off from the band. We played at his mass. We played at his graveside and all the rest of it, yeah. But uh, so as it turned out afterwards, as soon as he died... I became the longest serving member of the band <laughs> for all the good I was being there, you know. But, uh, and that was it, yeah. And the rest is history, as they say. I started as a, as a ten-year-old up in St. Agnes's Bias Band in Crumlin. When I was 16, I left and went to... Uh, James's band here. I was, I was, I was keen enough to go up to James's because it was a, a real band, you know. So if you wanted to come up here, well, then you had to come up to scratch and you had to start practising more, you know. That's, a lot, that's 64 years ago. And uh, I never stopped since, yeah. And someday I'll probably make a, a good player, you know. <laughs> Joe's still at it and he's over 80 and he may, he's keeping at it too. Here we go. Same play. Three and four. Now, Joe. Dave Reed is the current chair of the band who plays the saxophone. I don't know, I think I'm about 10 years in this band. Actually, geez, you're only a pup. I'm only a pup. They've been playing, they've been playing for continuously music for 70 yeah, years. Yeah. They started when they were 10. Yeah. 
They just never stop. All around the walls of the band hall are photographs of the old band members. But I love looking at these pictures for all these guys. All these men here, like they were in it. I wonder what did they think when they were in it. You know, really, it was like an outlet away from home to come down and play a bit of music. And all the instruments they had, look, they hadn't even got the range of instruments that we have now. But I love it. But I love it here. true. You'd wonder when you look at those guys, was it just like, was it like their little haven, like their man's shed to be down here? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what it could have been at the time. It could have been their man's shed. And like, they're, like they marched and marched and marched. You can see all the pictures where they marched. Like really, Those really. Those two are still marching. Yeah. They, 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 they keep marching. Look. I'll have a look around, will I? Yeah. Is that okay? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll go with you. Yeah, yeah. So we, we'll start over here. There's a few old ones now, 39, wow. 35. I'm not in those, incidentally. Two, 1904. Yeah. Uh, there's John Gannon. I told you about him. The oh, oldest yeah. band in the band, and he died only a couple of days before his hundredth birthday, in in hospital. Yeah, ah, he was great, great bandsman. Now let's have another look. Da -da -da. Yeah, used to have one. I've done it Ross's. In in glass never. The photograph Bob is looking for is that of O'Donovan Ross's funeral. <laughs> yeah. Patrick Pierce, his famous oration in 1915, yes, there is, last never. And here's St. James's band. See them all along there? The band is playing. And uh, there's only one photograph taken of that, that funeral because we believe that the press at the time were not allowed to attend that funeral because of probably what it was, was going to be said by Pierce. It has seemed right before we turn away from the place where we have laid the mortal remains of O'Donovan Ross that one among us should in the name of all speak the praise of that valiant man and endeavour to formulate the thought and the hope that are in us as we stand around the grave. But seemingly a, a, a chap called Kelly in the band had a camera and he took the photograph. The original which we have on loan to a museum and we have a copy of it here in the band hall. And almost all of the leading people in the 1916 Rising were at the gravesite. Pierce and Connolly and Plunkett and I think that's Casement, I'm not sure. But a lot, of, a lot of them were there. And the band is right across the back of the picture. The band was there. There must have been about 60 in the band at the time. Were you there, Joe? 1915. You weren't there, were you? Right, Joe, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's very good, very good. Good one's here now. There's a famous fella there. 
show me that photograph there. Tell me about that one. Oh yeah, that's uh, what's his name, Collins, Michael Collins, and that's the band playing at his funeral. So there you are. There's the band marching. <laughs> You know, the band was invited to head the cortege of Michael Collins, which was, at the time, a great honour. You know, the real history is, is where the state was going through a traumatic time and the band were involved in a lot of things. For instance, the, the proclamation. Well, they were printing the proclamation in the, uh, I suppose you call it the bowels of Old Liberty Hall, down in the cellar on a Saturday night, and it was realised that those old printing presses were a bit noisy, and the, the troops of the Crown could hear this going on, so, didn't you know, they had to stop it. So they didn't know what they were going to do to offset that. So there was a Commodore Michael Mallon, who was a, quite a well-known man in the troubled times. He was also a flautist who attended here not a member, but he attended for to play with the band on occasions. And they decided to get St. James's band down to do a concert in Liberty Hall and play as loud as you can. One, two, one. <laughs> You know, that's a fabulous story. And as not as a result of that, but sometime later, I think it was on, oh, Palm Sunday, the band were rehearsing, and as they do on the Sunday morning, still do, and up pulls a truckload of British Army soldiers and arrests the whole band. Initially brought them up to, there was a barracks, Richmond barracks, I think up in Inchicore, arrested the whole band, brought them up there, and then brought them from there to Arbor Hill. And again, I can't confirm this, but it's believed the charge was playing music non-becoming of the king. Now, that's the word that's mentioned. And they were released, I think, after 24 hours. Some people think they were held a week. They weren't. They weren't held for a week. You're going to have an awful lot of people adding on little codicils to stories, you know. There's no story that doesn't travel without getting bigger. That is what makes records so important. They know they were officially established in 1800 but they only have anecdotal evidence prior to that. What they do have, though, is a subscription book, an old, very large, bound ledger, where the band members' subscriptions, which they paid and continue to pay weekly, are written down. It is the subscriptions, plus the fees for engagements, that keep the band going. This is the band's subscription book, which starts in 1916 in January 1916, and it's up to up to the present day. It's kept up by me. So back in the those days in the band, it was six pence a week, and like it is now, it's paid every week uh, or in advance, and at the end of the year, the members would get any surplus back. Um, back in those days, they also had a thing called a divide at the end of the year, on Christmas Day, they all came to the band room when they got their surplus. And if the band made a surplus or a profit in the year, they got some of that as well, and they got a drink, and they got tobacco and pipes and all sorts of things as well. So different, uh, different sort of times, they could all go off on Christmas morning and drink in the band room. 
One of the people that you probably have heard about already is John Cannon, who was a, a life member of the band and got into the Guinness Book of Records. So he's in this book from when he joined the band. His, his subscriptions are written in the book since 1938, until the time that he, he stopped playing with the band. So the Guinness Book of Records were able to use this book to verify that he was a member of the band for all that time, because he never missed a subscription, he never missed paying. He was 99 years and eight months when he died, and he was 82 years a member of the band. And he played with the band up to within about two years of his death. One, two, and it's one. Um... Probably the most interesting thing in the 1916 part of the book is George Gagan, who is fifth in the book and who was in the band and paid his last sixpence on the 9th of April 1916 and then he went on to fight in the 1916 Rising and he was killed outside the City Hall along with three other volunteers. And I have a record somewhere of his uniform in a property book belonging to the band as well. Everybody had to sign for everything that they got from the band back in the day. And this this is a very interesting book because it gives everybody's address where they lived at the time. And quite a few people have come to us and said, my grandfather or my great-grandfather or whatever was in the band, and do you have a record of them? And we have our subscriptions book, and then we also have this, which gives some of the addresses. So I'll just see, can I find George Gagans is in this book somewhere. You can hear the history of the yeah. There's George Gagans' entry in the property book. He signed in 1912, the 16th of May 1912, he signed for his uniform consisting of a capuchin, a trousers, a pouch and a belt and a B-flat clarinet. Uh, made by Rudel Cart and Company in London. And the serial number is there, and the description is the Ebonite clarinet. So his uniform was returned complete by his widow after 1916. And somewhere further on in the book, there's an entry which shows somebody else getting his uniform. Um, God, that's a history, isn't so it? So that's a history, yeah. And so they continue on the tradition. And as Tom Tyrrell, the musical director, said, one of the most interesting aspects of the band's history was during the foundation of the state, at which time they were the most popular band in Dublin. Yeah, so you imagine what we were like back in the day when it was times I was told our band put out three bands to cover three gigs in the one day. So that's how big the band was back then. Obviously, we were governed by England, so we had no army as such, so we had no army band. The guards were... British, so it was only when really they all went back to their own country that we got an army band and then we got a guard band. And sure, we lost an awful lot of players to the guards and the army band because who else was playing that type of music? Only us. Yeah. And they took over most of what would be considered state occasions because the Army School of Music started around 22, 24. So they would have had the number one army band in Dublin and then went on to have four bands dotted around the country, of which there are three remaining. I know, I was a member of one of them for 40 years. And uh, they would have taken over all those sort of uh, state duties. But the band did not stop. They continued to play on. And the band are also famous for playing the, the very first playing of the Irish National Anthem 
which wasn't the national anthem, it was known as A Soldier's Song. They continued with the music, but crucially, they stayed out of the politics of the Civil War. They remained as they still are, non-aligned to any political side. They did stay out of things after uh, the War of Independence. They avoided getting involved in the Civil War and the politics of the Civil War. And they seem to have avoided getting involved in the politics after the Civil War as well because um, they wanted the band to stay together because there were guys in the band who took sides themselves. But for the sake of the music, there was no... doesn't seem to have been a division in the band. So they established this neutral territory? Yeah, they did, yeah, yeah. St. James's Band never associated itself with anything, either political or anything. No, we are an individual band. We look after ourselves, we finance ourselves. And everyone in this band is, is a volunteer. You know, everyone has probably their own reason for coming down. They come at their own free will to rehearse and then for engagements. It's all voluntary. And we've all walks of life, as you know, work-wise, retired, everything. So though the role of the band within official engagements in the state changed, what never seemed to have changed is the commitment and dedication of the band members. Each band member has their own story that tells of this dedication, such as John Farrell's story, John who plays the clarinet, not John who plays the tuba, or the other John who plays the saxophone, who you have yet to meet. Oh, there's loads of Johns in the band, Shane. When Tom says John, about six of us look up, <laughs> hoping it's not our turn. I will be in the band, please God, 40 years next February. Lord mercy, when did you start? You must be really young. I was 12 when I came to St James's Band as a pupil. And just before I was 16 years of age, I became a member of the band. What was the day of 12? Well, my story is I'm from Pimlico. And my grandfather drank in Cardigan's pub up the road here. And my father used to visit him on a Sunday morning for a few before dinner. And I used to get him taken down. Not that I minded being taken down, but it was always great to go in. But then the pub used to be full with the band members. After rehearsal, they went up with a few jars. And of course, one morning, my father introduced me to this man, Tommy O'Rourke. And he asked him, is there any chance you could take this young lad? Put a bit of manners on him and maybe try and teach him an instrument. So he looked at my fingers first. He said, ah, he's long enough fingers. He said, we'll try him on the clarinet. Do you think I knew what a clarinet was at 12 years of age? Hadn't an early. I did not take to the clarinet or lessons or anything. I was probably one of the worst pupils Tommy O'Rourke ever had at the time. But it was like a light switch when I got to a certain age. I just fell into the band. It just took over then. I was kind of like the model person to be in the band. I loved my whole persona about getting into the uniform, polishing the shoes, and out to go. That was it. It wasn't the done thing in Pimley, God tell you, to be wearing the style of band uniform it was then and the cap and all, but it didn't bother me. It was either that, like a football or other things, and I just stuck, chose the music, and lo and behold, I stuck it, and I'm still here. 
Bobby and Joe, they're incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And the will and the want to do it is brilliant because Nidron Drive, like it's hardship to get two buses down here sometimes in the the depths of winter and the darkness. They'll always be down. That'd agree. Doesn't know. Absolutely. So when you joined, they were the age of you now? Absolutely. Yeah. And Bob was a great teacher. He taught the trumpet and the trombone. He had a few players went through the band, yeah. So he was a good skin, puts in the hours, even library and the whole lot, him and Joe over the years, all active members on the committee. They kept the whole show going, yeah. So yeah. history. And do you so, yeah. feel that that's it now? You're never leaving, you're here for the long the long haul, forty years later. <laughs> well normally if you were in a job you'd probably be looking to retire after forty years service, but I'm only fifty five years of age, fifty six next year, so look We'll try and give it another 40. Put the record up to John Gannon. We'll see what happens. Wow, look, as long as I have my health and the band is here, please God, I'll be here. Yeah. Why, though? What draws you? It's, it's just bred into you. It is a hobby. Like, it's, it's routine. If I got up on a Sunday morning and there wasn't band, I need to be scratching a hound house. No one should be doing something and I'm missing it. I want to be down here. And keep repeating the two bars. Keep repeating those two bars. One, two, two, and. Um, you played at the Pope, the first Pope, didn't you? Yes, yeah, that was one of me. I joined in February, so obviously in September the 29th. Yeah, we marched the congregation from James Street Parish onto the gates of the Phoenix Park. We weren't allowed to go any further, so. Can you yeah. you did that? I was 16, yeah. And do you remember it? It was a great atmosphere, just great to be part of this this is what it's all about could have marched all the way up to the park to the paper cross if they let us but no wasn't the big yeah uh, yeah. yes we did yeah 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 it was that's only a few years ago Jenny Mike we did we did we played yeah oh, we did we did well the march inside of us obviously gave us great front frontage to people we used to do Patrick's Day Parade in town the coldest day of the year hanging around for the longest time, and then doing the march. So we did the Millennium Year, which was great, because we've been the oldest band. We marched first. They were very good for marching, and they used to bang the devil out of the drums when they'd be marching, you know. When we were out on the road, and banging the drums. No, no break at all. Yeah, just that line. They were, the band played at every international football match in Daly Mount Park. For years, and I remember as a young guy, as a kid, going to Daly Mount Park to watch a football match with my dad, and James's band would be marching around pre-match. Yeah, little did I know then. <laughs> I did them for, for years and years. This would be at half-time. We'd march around the pitch, and every time we got to a corner... Well, we had to turn right or left, whichever it would be. The staff manager, Paddy Kelly, he was a famous man, and he would stick out his stick and his arm, and the crowd would go mad. Really, they, they, they would give the Daily Mount Roar. That was what it was called, you know. They, everyone would shout, hey! Once he stuck out the stick and put out the hand, and the band would come around like that. You used to love it because you'd always see the matches, you know, <laughs> and you didn't have to pay in. <laughs> so that was a plus. <laughs> that was, that's a different breed now because you're caught in the middle of everybody 
and the roaring and the shouting and sure wouldn't be unfamiliar now for an old apple butter or tomato or something to come flying your direction so we were all right in the clarinets because you'd only get a belt of it put anyone with a big instrument on a bell <laughs> or getting them down or coins whatever was going but why were they trying yeah. to stuff why well, wouldn't you move on target? I was doing, I was doing worse than that myself as a young fella. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, a big bell on a bass. That's that's a move on target. That's great. Yeah. You don't march anymore, do you? I don't march anymore. No, no, really. I mean, I'm gone eighty. You know, there's plenty of young fellas there. If they want to march, go ahead. <laughs> I did enough. For a lot of us now are doing well to get down the stairs in here. So marching is not, you know, we do two little marching uh, engagements during the year. One is Arbor Hill and the other one is Bodenstown. Arbor Hill, obviously, for the uh, signatories and Bodenstown for Wolftone. But no, we, we're, we're not a marching band anymore. We, we are, our instrumentation is a concert band. But though the band no longer marches, they continue to play as gloriously as ever. During this centenary of commemorations, the band has played a part. For instance, the reopening of the Golden Bridge Cemetery in Inchicore, the first non-denominational cemetery in Ireland, a beautiful garden cemetery that was founded by Daniel O'Connell in 1828. Yeah, yeah, we played at the opening of it. Then we played at the reopening of it. (laughs) Yeah, well, it wasn't there for the first opening, you know. (laughs) Might look it. Yeah, the band... Uh, initially opened that cemetery, played at the opening of it, and then it was closed down for a long, long time, and they decided to clean it up and all that and have a reopening. So, again, we went up and played at the reopening of it. That's, that, that's, that's a cemetery that not a lot of people know about. What was it, uh, 180 years old or something? It is something like that. I, I can't remember offhand. Band member Aoife Phelan, who plays the flute. It's great to actually be there representing the band that was there back in 100 years ago. So, yeah, it's brilliant. It's really it's amazing is. to be part of that legacy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, you know, it's cool when you see all the photographs. You know, I don't know if you've seen the photographs downstairs in the band hall, but, like, from back from the band back then, you know, and it's just, it's just it's a good thing to be part of. All men back then, of course. It was, yeah, so it was great to actually see some women. But it was a male band. You look at the photographs, you can nearly pick out where the girls have come in. And that's great. And the more the merrier. The more the... Yeah, they apply themselves a little better, if I may say so. So my name's Martina yes. Condon, and I live in... Um, up in Inchicore and have done all my life. Um, well, I didn't realise I was the longest-serving female in the band at the moment, so... Are you the longest-serving? Yeah, well, that's what they told me last week. That's <laughs> just to get you to talk. Yeah, to get me to talk, yeah. I didn't realise that, but it would be, I suppose, 31 years, yeah. Mm. Um, my father was in the band in the 70s. So when I was around 15, he brought me down to to join the band because I started playing the flute when I was around 14. And I came down and I thought that everybody was too old to stay here, so I, so I didn't stay. I said when I was 21, OK, maybe I'll go back down to the band. So that's it, then I'm here ever since. They start young. Brought along by the previous generation. Yeah. That's brilliant. <laughs> How old you in? My mother. So you're up to vote of us in. Yeah. What's it like playing with your mother? I can't imagine playing without her. It's weird. I just can't, you know, if you turn around, she's not there. It's like, where are you gone? I love playing with her. 
That is the thing about this band. They are a family. And it's not just that they play like a family, but they're also family members playing together who were brought down as children to the band hall by their parents. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So uh, my dad now plays the trumpet. So I think I've been playing the flute since I was about seven. Oh my God. I barely remember a time before the f- playing the flute, you know. And then when I was, I think I've been in the band now about 11 years, 11, 12 years. Yeah. What age you? I'm 24. So I was young enough now coming down, but it, it was, well, when, when I say I came down, when I say I played about four notes out of the piece, but that's how you... That's how you get into it, like. What's so, it like playing with your dad? Great, yeah, it is because it's you know as I was saying before, life is really, really busy. So it's great to have that bit of time where you can actually spend it with your family, to you know, like spend it with your spend it with your dad. Aoife's dad is Dermot Phelan, who plays the trumpet. When you get the deeper, stay down at that level. We gotta hear the trumpet. One, two. What's that like getting to play with your dad? It must be lovely. Oh, it's great, yeah, yeah. It's great to, like, especially if the. Uh, you have to get a solo part and you can hear them play it, you know. But uh, that's nice. You must be proud. Oh, yeah, very proud, yeah. Very proud, yeah, but we don't tell them that. <laughs> yeah, you, don't want to, you don't want to give them big heads or anything like that, but, but it is nice. Nice thing to be able to do, you know, and, and, and farms, farms memories for, as the fellow says, going on. And it all stems from music, do you know what I mean? That's the, that's the starting stone. That's it, and... It's outside the music, like it is the camaraderie. People always have a story what happened on the weekend, or new baby born, or grandchildren, or whatever. So that to me is what it's all about. But uh... John's partner, Kathleen Phelan, who's Dermot's sister, is also in the band. She plays the clarinet and they met through the band at the annual South of Ireland Band Championships in Clonakilty, which you heard them practising for at the beginning. Here I met John through music, through a weekend away in Clonakilty, which the bands always do. And in Clonakilty, 2002, we met and we linked up after that a few times and then we have our own daughter and our own, own place now together so it's all good but it was great it was just it's it was all through music as well which was great so that's very romantic yeah very romantic it is yeah <laughs> many many moons ago well yeah about 17 years ago so and your daughter and orly yes and now yeah she plays as well she's currently doing flute Will she continue the family tradition? I hope so. Funny, the car coming down, I was. she was saying, are we going to the band room? And I said, yeah, we are. I said, well, growing up, I was 11 years of age, brought out to the stand. It was a big deal to be sitting into the band on a stand for the first time ever. So I just, she's at that age, she's 13 also. So I want to kind of just, it's going to be good for her to do that. And, and then learn the experience of playing the flute on her own and then, the feeling of playing as a group, which has a great benefit as well for, for people. That must be a great buzz. It is, yes, yeah, it is. Now, there's, there's, we won't be the first. There's, there has been families. My brother and his two daughters used to play. Um, Joe Regan, one of our older members, and I believe his son and his two daughters, yeah. Bands do bring that. It brings family through as well, do you know, so... And it keeps it brings it through, but it seems to kind of be a lovely bond. Yes, all it is, yeah, yeah, it is. Currently how many members are 
Uh, all in all, on the books, I would say probably 33, 35. You know, it can fluctuate. Like, we've had a Frenchman playing trombone. He's gone back to France. We had a German guy playing trumpet for a few years. He's gone back to Germany. You know, we've got... We had two Moldovans. One of them is now in America. The other guy is still here. You know, so you're going to have a change. And every band gets a lull. The age profile has to go up. Then it drops off the top and you've got to rebuild again. But unfortunately, if there's nobody or not, the mount coming in at the bottom, we're falling off a cliff the other end. I remember the band one time, there was only about seven or eight of us coming down to practice and it looked like the band was going to fold. But we stuck with it and it kind of gave me a great chance to develop my playing because there were so few on the stands. And the main thing is, which this band has done for 200 and whatever it is, 78 years, stay together. Keep it going. Even if you've only 10, keep it going. Because there are bands that have all over this country that have collapsed and never resurfaced, which is a shame. That never happened, this band. They welcome new members. And once you join, it seems you just don't want to leave. It's a force of nature to play so I don't think I'll ever leave. I'll probably be there to the day I die. The band will probably play in my funeral. <laughs> it's a little bit like a cult, yeah, you can't leave. <laughs> they come up to you and to drag you down from your house, yeah. 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 Oh, what is it about it that you like so much? Uh, I, I like uh, all the, the people are very nice in the band. They don't, um, do yeah, because some organisations you'd be involved in might become too politically f- clicky and things like that. We don't have any of that. We just play the music. Yeah. You just get lost in music and you kind of forget everything that's been going on during the day. It, it's It's great, really, for kind of just relaxing and, you know, and then. I think it's a well-being programme as well. There's no doubt in the world. Yeah, isn't it kind of like mindfulness? You just come to play music and... You're only there focusing on the two hours on the one thing. You, you, even though we do drift off sometimes and have little chats, but we're not really supposed to. <laughs> Don't try to get her involved in your chat club. She's doing fine. It's like as though we go into a cocoon, the door closes, Bandmaster picks up the stick... And that's it. One, two. One, we're in. Zone. Music. That's it. Great. Yeah. Uh, well, well, it's, it's a lovely hobby. Lovely hobby. And, and, and uh, you can go into any place, any town, if, where they have a band, and, and usually you'll be welcome. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, and, um, Usually that there'll be band members who like refreshments after rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a black cup of tea with us. Uh, no, they're, they're called refreshments. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You could walk anywhere into any music band and at least that's your opening, that's your door opening for, say, make friends or, or whatever, you know. And... Um, once you can play an instrument, language barrier doesn't uh, doesn't come into it. It's another language because once you have a page in front of you, you're reading the notes. It is a language that's there, and it comes out in melody and tune. Do you know so? My name is John. Actually, you know, Irish calling me John. Original name is uh, Ewan, and uh, the second name is uh, Rako. I'm from Republic of Moldova, but when I come here, I was not really good. Uh, but Tom Tyrell, he said me, John, 
I'll draw from you a good saxophonist. And he did. <laughs> he did. John joined the band in 2015. It's when I come here for the first time in the band. Um, when I started the conversation with them, it's like I know them for ages, you know. And uh, for that, actually, I'm I'm still in this in this band because it's it's nice. It's when I come here, it's hmm, actually. I'm found here much better. You'd be lost without it once once you have it in you, you know. And it doesn't stop. Like I listened to Bobby and Joe, and they've been seventy years. Mm, absolutely, stop. yeah, yeah, and it's great, yeah. So it's amazing what music can do. We'll just have to keep playing away. But you can't stop. You've been playing the longest band in Ireland. Yeah, you can't stop now. Should we? We all with all these guys on the wall here. Jeez, if we stopped there on our watch, it'd be terrible, wouldn't it? Two, three, four. A hidden fanfare is a curious broadcast production funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television license fee. Produced and narrated by Patricia Baker. Edit and final mix: Jerry Horn, Contact Studio. Music by the St. James's Brass and Reed Band. <laughs>